What's the definition of his definition of deep, deep medicine? Uh, it's not replacing human with with AI, right? Machine learning, but rather augmenting it. Because mm. I mean, of, mm. uh, he he's making a point mm. that. Uh, uh, like if you compare AI to U.S. insurance companies, right? Mm. They can just reject your subscription to a drug just because th they think it's expensive, right? They they say they don't need it. I mean, I've seen things on on Twitter, like medical doctors saying, "Okay, I, I have uh, cancer or something like that, and I have been prescribed this medicine," but the insurance company uh, denied it, right? Mm. They said, "Contact your your doctor." But yeah, that was the doctor that prescribed me this medicine, right? What's what's wrong? Mm. Uh, so he he kind of also compares this uh, uh, AI in medicine to to insurance companies, right? That they can be too strict, right? They need some human 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 factor there. And he says that what, what means too strict? You mean the insurance companies, or I mean I mean the insurance companies are strict in a way, yeah. but also like if you apply AI only to treat patients, right? You will not have this human factor there when, when you have a doctor that can, you know, so recognize you some other things. AI together with a yeah. medical so, doctor to... Yeah, so he AI. said that, sorry, uh, that AI machine learning should offload doctors so they could interact more with the patients, get to know their patients more. Because it's not only about the symptoms, right? It's also like on, on your living habits. And, and this has been a core theme uh, on this podcast that is sort of, when, when we meet a lot of guests that augmentation of intelligence mm -hmm. or how does uh, AI interact with human is the way to go in many areas. Uh, yeah, and so I haven't heard about this person, Eric Todel, uh, before, but but if he says that, uh, I think uh, he's very on, much uh, agrees on. with that. Um, I need to check. It would be fun to, to hear if you agree. You know, something that we have been saying for a long time is basically that, you know, AI, of course, can go through data in a very efficient way but perhaps not always the most effective way, saying, you know, it doesn't really have the deep understanding and background knowledge that humans have. Mm. But humans, on the other hand, can't really go through like hundreds of MRI scans of the heart or mm -hmm. whatever kind of cardiology kind of use case that he's working with. But AI can do that. But then, you know, to truly interpret and, you know, build up a treatment plan, mm -hmm. you need the expertise and the deep knowledge and background knowledge that human doctors have, right? And, and the whole interaction. Yes and no, sorry, you, have, you can have also a lot of misdiagnosis, right? Because from humans or from, from humans, yes, because humans treat their job very routinely, mm -hmm. right? You, you, I, I had a problem with, with a sh uh, shoulder and I went to a doctor and first thing he said, like, yeah, th let's do x-ray. Mm -hmm. But that was, uh, I need really a physiologist to, to look at it and yeah, I, prescribe some exercises, right? Yeah, so, so but, it, but it's this topic then that machines can be really better at some parts, but there is a huge also human part or empathic part of being yeah. a good doctor. So, so uh, this whole augmentation idea has many angles, you know, how to maximize the benefit of AI. Yeah, but also replacement would have a big benefits. You can treat this machine learning AI as a transfer of knowledge from yeah, rich countries to third world countries, right? Like with ah, this, with this whole, uh, that, that's kind of popular use case when you have the, the that Google or others trained model to, that works on um, pictures of the, how do you call it? Deep part of the eye, like the, the back of the eye, retina, retina, retina. Yeah, and uh, that that performs as well, as good as optometricians, right? And, yes. That can be used in the third world countries when you don't have access to that many 
many. I think that's an interesting point that right? like uh, developing countries can really jump some of the yes, like of technical steps that we in the Western countries otherwise had to go through. Yeah, they, they can leapfrog now, and yeah. and and I think the, the, if I understand, uh, Topper Sadi is also here. He's u- using technology to drastically reduce the cost. Of you know, if we take this scanning, the, uh, ah, yeah, yeah. Ult- so another example. Yeah, he, one of the things that he he thinks will be a big step in the future for also third world countries is uh, portable uh, you, you, uh, ultrasound scanners. Exactly this point. All right, because <clears throat> at the moment those devices used in medical I mean hospitals and medical uh, centers uh, they are quite expensive. They cost like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of euros, and. Uh, ha- this kind of portable scanner you can plug into to your mobile phone. And uh, I think at the moment I, when I checked it, the one cost like 2000 euros. So the, it's like magnitude of, 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 of price reduction. But uh, what Eric did was uh, he scanned his whole body yeah. with this portable, uh, That's port- cool. yeah, portable ultrasound scanner. Uh, he found something. Uh, I don't remember what was that. Uh, something with heart also. But uh, in general, the problem with uh, ultrasound scanners is that you have to know how to put this scanner head against your body because, uh, yeah, basically what it does, it, it sends a, a sound and rece- receives it back and depends what it bumps on, you'll get that in the picture or not, right? If there is something uh, between the scanner and, uh, and the object you want to, to, want to scan, you, you will not see it because there will be a shadow from a bone, for example, right? If you scan between the ribs, right, you will not see the organs from the, from the inside. So you have to know how how to scan it, and that's where AI probably could come into into place, right? It it can measure how are you holding the the scanner against your body, and maybe can adjust. Yeah, you, you should move it, or maybe you you should mo- do the whole movement, and it will pick the right yeah. right pictures. Like like we do now when we scan, when we start. Off. I mean, I guess it's just like in a third or developing countries can skip some of the. Mm-hmm. Like communication uh, thresholds, like having landlines, there's no point in, in, in doing that. Let's just jump to mobile uh, cell networks and, yeah. um, and so much more quickly and yeah. more cheaply be able to have communication networks throughout. Or we can go one step further. Like I think in Nigeria, they don't trust the banks at, at that right. much, right? So they are yeah. using bitcoins. Quite, Bitco- they quite, rather quite do bitcoins from the beginning. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, let, let's not go into bitcoin. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go there, but yeah, but, it's a good example. But, but let's but, introduce uh, Machen. And, and now I, I will not uh, butcher your name. <laughs> so we start here. How? how? Okay. So who, my, who my, we have as a guest? My today? name is Martin Penkalski. Martin Penkalski. Penkalski. And, yes. and, and all the listeners should know I practiced and practiced and practiced, <laughs> and I, I still feel I butcher your name. Uh, it's quite good. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we have a um, Kaggle master here today. So I think that will be super cool to have uh, a general theme to understand what Kaggle is all about and... Competitive machine learning. Yeah, competitive <laughs> machine learning and, and uh, tie that back to uh, what Kaggle do and, and how it works and all that. So we will have many interesting um, angles on that that we can tie into our different topics we talk about. So this is a Kaggle theme to some degree. I, let's let's see how that works out. Yeah, but I think it's a big honor to have a, like a yeah. professional like that yeah. and uh, someone that uh, I think can give a lot of tips and tricks. You know, yeah, and what is Kaggle? Season. What is Kaggle? and what's the pros and cons of being yeah. you know using Kaggle competitions versus real world yeah. applications? So yeah, like but let's start. Um, uh, how, how? Who are you? How do you? Uh, what's your story? What's my story? Oh, my story is 
not that long <laughs> in comparison to others. But uh, yeah, I, I, I was born and raised in Poland. So yeah, some people say it's Eastern European country, but yeah, it's more in the center than in the East. Mm -hmm. uh, I studied there math and economics and that took me quite a while, seven years in total. Uh, then I worked in different places like in telecoms and banks. I worked in UK in a bank. Uh, and then I moved to Sweden. I worked in a gambling company. Uh, I mean, yeah, gambling. Yeah, they were doing slot machines uh, for online online website, online casinos. And now I work at Cambi, who is a B2B sportsbook provider. Uh, and yeah, B2B and sportsbooks are keywords here. Uh, but going back to some of your education as well, and, and you focused a lot on math in the beginning. Did you focus on some specific piece of math that you had some extra passion for? Uh, I like the most um, ana analysis, right? Mathematical anal mm -hmm. analysis, uh, real and complex. Uh, and I wrote my master thesis in uh, in numerical analysis. Mm -hmm. So it's not really machine learning, but yeah, some algorithms and I mean, in general, math, when you study math, it doesn't teach you any kind of, uh, it doesn't prepare you for a job, right? That is what I was get, trying to get at, <laughs> but I think it's actually a misnomer a bit because it's, it perhaps does in, I mean, in ways that you don't think of. I actually have a quote for, for my, uh, one of my favorite math professors and basically said, you know, you don't learn math to have use for it. You learn math to show that you can do it. <laughs> That's <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I agree with it, but, but, but it's actually but true. But a in some couple ways. of years after yeah, after graduation, you don't remember that much, so you cannot. I mean, you you showed that at some point you were we were able to do it, but mm -hmm. yeah, it might not be the case anymore. But for um, people that there are a lot of people interested in math, and including myself. So if you just were to, you know, did you do a, a bachelor or something in in some specific? Uh, no, no, in in, uh, in math, uh, it was probability theory, right? What did I do? Uh, I mean, my studies were there was a. Uh, at my university, a lot of people were studying math and economics at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. And they had to kind of juggle the balls between like one and the other faculty. So they created a joint program. Uh, so for bachelor studies, they prepared like a set of courses that you had to do and you could get a diploma from yeah, nice. joint studies. And then after that, you could pick what you want to do next, math or economics. Yeah. And majority of people picked both. And yeah, so for bachelor, I was studying both math and economics. In math, I did bachelor in, I think it was also analysis. I don't remember at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you have some core core courses, right? And then yeah. you just select one one uh, topic in which you write your bachelor thesis. But it's was not it something in periodic functions or something that you worked with. Uh, no, periodic functions were was a master thesis that was oh. a, a differentiability almost everywhere of. Mm, well, some some set of functions. I don't remember. Ah, okay. Yeah, Rather the markers. And then and then you started. Uh, yeah, you, you you were. Yeah, you first you worked in the telco space, and then yes. in the end, you, um, where were you in the telco space? Uh, it's uh, it was uh, Orange, so that's the biggest telecom in in yeah. Poland. Yeah, subsidiary at the moment of uh, French Orange, right? Yeah, they did the bigger branding. I, I worked in uh, reporting. BI, so business intelligence, however you call it, depends on the company. Yeah, uh, yeah there, there we used a lot of SaaS, 
SAS so. Institute stuff. And for yes. people that don't know what SAS is, how would you describe it? Uh, it's a big statistical software that can, I mean, it's, it's, you, may, you may compare it to R or yeah. R is the best one. R is the closest, but SAS yeah. is the uh, application where R is more the open source approach. Yeah, but the main difference, I mean, SAS is commercial, R yes. is open source. And I think what a, a lot of telecoms and uh, insurance companies are using SAS yes. and also banks. So in and enterprise uh, minor. Yes. Yes. But uh, uh, I, what, what, what I heard is that uh, because SAS is a commercial company and they give some guarantees behind their algorithms, right? And you have the support, which you don't have for open source. Mm -hmm. So that's why those big enterprises use it, mm -hmm. right? And they, they can hook up to pretty much any kind of database. What's your pros and cons uh, about that? If you were to start your own company, would you make use of SAS or, or something I think it's, else? I mean, SAS would be too expensive, I think, if, yeah. you, if you start a company. So yeah. that would be, yeah, R or Python. Depends yeah. what, what, what skills you get on board yeah. on the, in the company. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And then after, and so you did that and, and yeah, then I, then I moved to, I mean, I moved, I, I worked for some consultancy that sent me on a project to, to UK where I spent two years, uh, in, uh, in MBNA, that's a subsidiary of uh, bank of America. And there I also work in SAS. So yeah, I yeah. think that's why they, they, they got me there. Right? Yeah. And, and then in Sweden, you, I, was it Unibet? You and, and no, no. The beginning for, for first thing, first company was net entertainment. Okay, net. So they create a casino game. I mean, casino games for online casinos. Okay. It was, uh, yeah, the slot machines. And they also had a product called Flyth casino when you have live dealers dealing blackjack cards or yeah playing roulette with people and uh, yeah, they are filmed. Yeah. Uh, and your so role in your work. Not, not Russian roulette, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Polish roulette. <laughs> not that I know. I don't know that. Uh, uh, my role, uh, I was a BI analyst there, but we, we were kind of, we had the one, one person who was doing our data warehousing. Oh, that was quick. I think the fastest onboarding I ever had because I, I came, I started to work in the, in, in July and as, I mean, I don't know if all the, all the people who are listening to the podcast know how July in Sweden looks like, but it's pretty <laughs> empty. I mean, we yeah. had like in the Swedish office of net, Enter, uh, net entertainment, there were like 200 people, right. But in the summer they were like, I don't know, handful. Maybe. Mm. So there was pretty much no, no one there. And they told me, okay, you see, this is Henrik. Henrik is managing our data warehouse. Uh, and he's on, going on holidays next week. Yeah, you have to cover him. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, in, and, in, and in Sweden, people go in, in the summer on like four weeks of holidays. Yeah, yeah that was at least. Yeah. yeah, at least. So, the deep what, end. What kind of warehouse uh, tech stack did you make? Did uh, you have there? That Can was Microsoft SQL Server. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, Net Entertainment had quite a lot of customers. So the main job was to get the data in the morning yeah. from like, 150 different databases and synchronize them. And, uh, yeah, and that was, uh, as I said, the fastest onboarding I had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you have, you have to cover him. batch, I guess, at this yeah. point in time. Yes, yes, that was and, batch. And you, you, you run out of time to get the batches in <laughs> on a daily basis, right? Uh, <laughs> not it, really. It, it was not that bad. I not mean, that it bad. Was, it, sometimes it took quite a while if you lost some connectivity to, to, to the servers and you have to reload, but everything was pretty, pretty automated. That's, that's and yeah, maybe we uh, later at the at some other stages we had to optimize yeah our our tables for querying because they got pretty big. Yeah. Did they have their own on-premise machines? Or yes, everything at that time was on-premise. Yeah. Well, and when are we talking now? What year, roughly? 
that was like six, seven years ago. Six, seven, seven. years ago. Yeah. 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 And then, and and then, what was the next step? Because I think uh, the next step was Cambi, uh, so my current current employer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it was one thing I tell sometimes that's like I was asked like why do I want to switch a job, right? And I said I don't really care what the company is doing. I'm here for the data. <laughs> <laughs> I love <laughs> that <laughs> comment <laughs> because I mean at net, net Entertainment, I mean the data was not that there was not that big variety, right? Because people. Yeah, click to have the those slots, slots spinning, and then yeah, and get the outcome right. And Cambi is a sports book provider, so the company allows people to bet on sports. And then we have hundreds of sports. I mean, not hundreds of sports, but tens of sports, right? And that 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 creates well, a big what's variety. What's a sports book? Sports book. Uh, so we allow people to bet on sports, right? Mm -hmm. So you can bet. The simplest way, yeah, you have a football match and you bet if Manchester will win with Liverpool, right? Or if there will be a draw. And beside that, we have many different uh, offers. I mean, what people can bet on, like if the total number of goals in the match will be over or under two and a half or, yeah, will there be a red card in the next minute? Or, yeah, that's that's example from, from soccer, but you can also bet on tennis and then you can bet on every single ball that is being served, like really? who, who yeah. will win. And, yeah. So, so it's done in real time and, and people just uh, start betting in real time on every yeah, goal so being played? Yeah, people do that. That's mm. In some countries, like in Australia, they consider that as gambling a bit, because yeah. it's similar to the slot machines. But yeah, I mean, th there are skills to that also. Perhaps so you, you can't really tell, gambling. but if you were to recommend someone that wants to go to Cambi and, and make some money, what type of like betting would be preferred, or do you think they have the biggest chance to I don't to know. quickly it, it, get it into? It depends them. on the skill, right? So yeah. The I mean, skill on the knowledge of the sport. You, you can have a knowledge in 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 on football, right? Mm. American football, and it's it's not applicable to a soccer, right? So yeah, it really, really depends. So, so you should choose something that you have some experience or knowledge in, and then try to make. Yeah, it but I mean, a lot of people probably are doing that for let's say, social reasons, right? Mm -hmm. they, they are big supporters of Liverpool, so they yeah. go <laughs> behind the team always, right? So they will bet on the team. And, and you are in Europe and in US, right? Uh, or we have operations all, all over the... All over. All over. Yeah. So are you, are you typically operating under your own brand or you are an engine under no, other that, brands? No, that, that's a B2B company, so it, it operates, I mean, we provide a solution, Sportsbook as a solution. So Sportsbook as a solution that typically there is a local brand. Uh, yeah, so you like, are, like, like the, you are the engine. Like client. in Sweden, you ask about Unibet. So yeah. Unibet is uh, one of the clients. Of yeah. your clients. I mean, Cambi is a spin-off from Unibet. So it started at Unibet, but, yeah, but, but now, this is now Unibet is a client. And this is the point you make, Sportsbooking B2B. So yes. basically you are building and working with the engine, so to speak. Mm, yes. So. And who are your biggest customers? You mentioned Unibet. Are there some some other big customers you have? Eight 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 and DraftKings. Yeah. And I mean, there are, there are a lot of customers, right? So, but yeah, I, most like in Sweden, I think the most popular are yeah, Mr. Green and uh, Unibet. Yeah, Mr. Green. I mean, I don't I don't have TV, but people keep yeah. telling me that yeah, you're you, always you have, on the TV. Yeah, they're always on TV. But and and <coughs> how would you understand or? define your unique selling what makes your engine good how you know what um, what what is your why why is it used so it's used quite a lot um, mm -hmm. 
I mean, we, we are good. <laughs> no, no, what, I know you're good. 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 I know you're Uh, I'm managing the <coughs> the data science team, so there are a couple of mm. people who are doing data science there. And what's the main use cases, so to speak? I mean, we do <coughs> many different things, but yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cannot go into details. No, no, no. I, I realize we're going <laughs> but, into. Uh, I mean, um, yeah, but you can do a lot of stuff like, from risk to yeah, um, yeah. yeah analytics, like yeah. for reporting even. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not so eager to go to the Kaggle part, but but let's before we move there. I mean, you have a data science team, and recruitment, of course, I guess is important always mm-hmm. uh, for them. Do you have any special tricks for how to perform recruitment to to find good talents to come to your team, for example? Hmm. Or I mean, maybe we're just lucky that we got good people. <laughs> Sorry, what? Yeah. We, we, maybe we're just good, lucky, lucky that we got good yeah. people. Yeah. I don't have you don't have any name. personal tricks in you know the way to do rec- uh, interviews mm. or what you look for in a CV. Not or really. I mean, I'm quite picky regarding CVs. So I mean, I really don't like this. It's it's very common. Like people making mistakes, like spelling interpunction. Like for me, it's like people not putting attention into right. details or didn't have time so if to have somebody mistakes in the CV. Is would, that be, would that be a negative thing for you, or do you don't? That would be a negative thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I don't like them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I, as a kid, I mean, I'm dyslectic and I have also uh, kind of, uh, I, I was really struggling with spelling mistakes in Polish language, right? Mm. Polish language is very tricky, but I was making like dozens of mistakes per uh, page of handwritten text. Uh, that depended a lot of on, on stress because uh, I mean, Without stress, I could make I could write without mistakes. I knew all the rules and all exceptions and so on. But when, for example, time of exam came, I was like, going with the number of mistakes through the roof. So, mm. yeah, so it's kind of. But, but you, as a Kaggle master, and and you have you know been so successful in different competitions there. Mm-hmm. What would you say the value is if you see someone else being successful in Kaggle competitions? Would you place a lot of value in that when recruiting? Uh, I I guess I would. In a sense, those people that are taking part in Kaggle, a lot of them, I mean, those that take mo- mo- it more seriously than just register and yeah, mm-hmm. make a, a sample submission, uh, they they do like to learn, right? They, most of them are there for learning. Or and, too big money? Uh, I guess it's too hard at the moment and prices, prices yeah, went down a bit. And <coughs> you have to be really... I mean, sometimes even with, with those big competitions with big, uh, big prizes, you, I mean, not everybody got them that had a winning solution, mm. but we can, we can talk about it later. You mean even the person that should have won it didn't win, win it? Yes. For example, there was a competition sponsored by Facebook. It mm. was about recognizing, I think, deep fakes in videos. And one of the teams that was, I think they were winning or at least top three. So they were in the money. Uh, they were. Uh, they took examples from like screenshots or some f- from YouTube videos, and Facebook I think said that they didn't have a license, like they didn't have re- release notes from the 
from those people, right? So they really couldn't use the images. So they are, they should be disqualified. I didn't, they, didn't, they didn't get the price. I don't know the, if the main price was like $1 million or something, but yeah, that was significant. So they brought in external data that they couldn't really have licenses for? Or? I mean, they assumed that they, they have the license because that I think some of them were on the under CC, right? So Creative Commons, but not all of them, or maybe they couldn't provide like links or... So they, or they, 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 they failed on a bureaucratic uh, <laughs> rule. Yeah, I, I think I think they, they assumed that um, they had the rights to the images because they were under Creative Commons, but they didn't have like re model release or whatever you call it when you take a picture of a person. Yeah. But maybe we should maybe we should set this up and go to the, this Kaggle topic now because uh, but, but, but let's close the, the recruitment okay. part a bit. I think you know because okay, you know, Kaggle competitions, of course, is one thing. It, it what what do you think it demonstrates in a person if they do compete and, and do Kaggle competitions? Do you think it's curiosity? Do you think it's like they have the like practical knowledge and, and, and know how to uh, perform? Or what, what it, kind of you know personality do you see if someone has done that? Okay, let's uh, put, putting aside the knowledge, right? Because some mm -hmm. people have it, some some don't. Yeah. And you also can create a team, right? And then you can team up with people who have the knowledge and you have some other skills. But in general, uh, you can usually you need to structure your your product quite well. You have to be able to iterate fast over new, new. And now we're speaking about the product that you had, for example, in Kambi, and that you um, should look for people in a team to move the product. Or what kind of product do you mean? I mean, uh, not product like in a model, right? Data science ah, product, like a model, the, okay, like yeah. AI model kind of. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I'm too biased with yeah, mm. working now and haven't I haven't touched Kaggle for for a couple of months. But uh, yeah, so 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 when you create a model, you need to be able to iterate quite fast and yeah. be able to tell what happened in the previous previous uh, iteration or yeah, a couple of iterations uh, back in time, and be able to go back to them. So you also need to you kind of need a structured approach to to solving the problem. Uh, very often, you need to be able to read up on the latest like state of arts, even if not the methods, but then also learn fast about the field you are developing the model for. For example, I mean, one of the competitions I took part in was uh, there were data from satellites, right? There was like, so you had to learn how the satellites are. Works, yeah. yeah. Maybe not work. But yes, well, some, you have to have the basic it. domain knowledge fast in order to do the modeling. Yes, yes. I mean, not for every competition because some of the competitions, they try to anonymize the data. So there was one competition and they provided like 600 columns and they were named from X1 to X600. And then, yeah, no domain knowledge will help you. But you, you could find some data there. Like, okay. I, I think that that uh, was an interesting point, domain knowledge. So, I mean, for one, you say that the person that has competed in some kind of competition, mm -hmm. they do provide at least, you know, they have the ability to quickly gain some knowledge about some domain and make use of that, right, mm -hmm. to, to win the competition and you can read up quickly in how to do something, right? Yeah. Um, what else? If you if we were to find something else still that you would look for in a person besides being able to compete in Kaggle, you know, would domain knowledge, for example, in some field like medicine mm -hmm. or something be something that you look for? Or how would you, besides Kaggle competition, look for skills in people? Mm. 
Or is it only as long as you have done some kind of Kaggle competition, you're fine? No, not not, it's, not some Kaggle, but yeah. <laughs> but it's the you need to be consistent, right? Because a lot of people sign up, they may do yeah. one competition and then yeah, disappear. That doesn't doesn't wouldn't let go like they wouldn't go through the filter. Um, but how do you value sort of core tech skills based to more analyst or <coughs> business to you know problem to data model translation skills and all that? I would say it, it would really depend on the size of the company. I mean, yeah. if you have the money to hire like data scientists, machine learning engineers, and others, then that's a different skill set than you would require from one data scientist that has to do like so the whole stack. Right? A full stack story yeah, versus so a really diverse yeah, because, team. Because if you, if you look at what kind of code data scientists usually develop, it's like a wall of text, right? Yeah. It's not maintainable. And if you have a yeah production system somewhere, you need to make this code nice and clean and easy to maintain, test. Yeah. I mean, you, what Kaggle doesn't teach you is unit tests, right? You don't yeah. have unit tests. I mean, you, you, you kind of have them in a sense of this. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's a bit putting, what I'm getting to. I mean, it's a different thing of it's doing a Kaggle competition set. than actually putting a model or some kind of system in production, right? Yeah, but then depends on the site of the company. Can you afford to have those people mm. that will put the model in production or you need somebody who will do that? And, and what size are you? Are you? Do you need unicorns or can you be a, can you, are you big enough team so you can sort of be good at uh, different skills? Uh, we we are somewhere mm -hmm. in between, I would say, mm -hmm. because I mean at the at the moment, I would say the data science is not in the core of the business, mm -hmm. but yeah, we are we are kind of growing, so we we are developing this skill set to put stuff in production, right? Yeah. So and, so and have you seen? Toolkit. Does that mean that your team in some ways has evolved to becoming more and more, how should I put it, an operational production oriented? team that you know you can do models we can do analysis but mm -hmm. and then we started here and now we are growing more and more from data science to mlops proper you know i mean we oh, i don't know if it's due to regulations or not but we have some you know, dedicated devops teams right so mm -hmm. develop developers shouldn't touch the production servers right mm -hmm. they cannot do that so they have to develop the code that is uh, that will run straight away with just maybe small changes to config files yeah right but uh I mean, I think it was Klarna years ago, they had like data scientists that were writing stuff in Python and then they had dedicated developers that were translating that yes. Python to Java mm -hmm. and yeah, then putting that in production. Yeah. So yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. We don't want that, right? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm so one. eager to, to speak about Klarna, but Klarna is a great company in many ways. Yeah, one of the most I, successful that, companies that, that, that we have in, in, in Sweden, actually. But uh, they also had some challenges in the past. Yeah, yeah but, sure. but, but I've heard that they moved away from that mm. yeah, step in the middle right, between production and data scientists. Yeah. Right? They don't have this translation to Java. But should should we we, to, yeah. but let's, let's then move into Kaggle. And I think we need an introduction. What is Kaggle? I mean, like the, for, for, for the tech nerds, I'm sure we know, but... I'm a, I don't know in detail, so please uh, introduce me to what is Kaggle and what it's all about and what's the background. Kaggle is a platform for, uh, how do you nicely put it, competitive machine learning. So companies can put their, I mean, of course, it's there's a big process behind it, but it boils down to putting a data set on which uh, and some metric that people have to optimize for, and they, they they are given aim to create a model that will solve some problem or optimize a metric, right? Uh, and 
I don't remember how many years ago it started, but more than 10, because I just checked my profile and I, I think I I had like 10 years, I registered 10 years ago. Uh, Can I have um, a look, Goran? Kaggle? Kaggle, yeah. So it was bought a couple of years ago. Oh, founded 2010. Oh, so I registered like one year after they were created. Uh, but they were bought by Google. Yeah. So they are What do you think about that, that Google bought a company like that? Uh, at least they have money to run. Right? <laughs> yes, that's <good. laughs> that's so they, they will not run out of money. Yeah. Uh, and they they have uh, money to develop, right? So they created this, uh, what they called Kaggle datasets, for example, uh, that they, people can put and host their datasets there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, probably it benefits Google in some sense. Uh, like But do we know how big the community is by now? Because Kaggle, this is quite huge yeah. worldwide. At some i remember at some presentation, the founder was saying uh, that they have around a million people, but I don't know how. It says Wikipedia says uh, what? Re registered. What was in 2017, oh, but yeah. not all the people that are registered are active. Active, no. And also I know that universities can host their own competition, like internet for, for, for the class, right? Mm. So not everybody competes in those public competitions. Maybe they just register to get the data set, for example, mm. because in order to get the data set from, from, from a given competition, you have to register yes, and accept sorry. the rules, right? So. <coughs> But I guess in short, you can say that companies can actually put up competitions there yeah. and they can put up some kind of price. That yeah, it costs win. some money, of course, yes. because you need some data engineers or data scientists on Kaggle side to help you to prepare the data. Because uh, some people and so, so we have some examples of a little bit bigger price monies even, like Facebook's put up competitions. So what's, what's a big... What's a big Price that has been out. What is it? Is like one million? One billion dollar? dollars. Yeah. For uh, the winner of the competition. No, I think that was pool price. Pool so that's, price. Yeah, but I, I think the the first price was half million. Yeah. And you you can you can I mean many people may know like the the Netflix challenge that was yes. the, the the previous I think that was the the source the of Netflix the idea. Price. Yeah, yes. Netflix price was the yeah. was the source of that. Which but one was this? Tell us about this. Uh, I don't know this. That was in. I don't remember the dates. Uh, Early 2000s, uh, right? Yeah, more 15 years ago or something. I think. Yes, I, I think that was in in the beginning when Netflix was still sending uh, sending video tapes. So this was the this was the precursor to to Kaggle. Can you Google Netflix Netflix price? Netflix price. A ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> But this was outside of Kaggle, right? That was, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that was. Yeah. You, you may say the base for Kaggle. Yeah, precursor. yeah, exactly. Big <laughs> fries. Not if you <laughs> stock fries. Now this was in what year? It was. Bet two thousand two thousand nine. Okay, oh. so eleven years ago, right before Kaggle. And and this is an interesting challenge in itself. It was like one million dollars, right? Yeah. And uh, it it caused a lot of upset. And I guess the the winning price. And and uh, let me jump into some technical topics here because it's interesting. I think in itself. The, the winning person, you know, that, that uh, what, what was the outset again? It was something like if they could beat the existing baseline by mm -hmm. like 10% or something, they would mm -hmm. gain, you know, win the, the prize. Yeah. And someone, you know, after a number, it took a number of years, if I remember correctly, um, before they were able to do it, but some, then someone did it and, and they won the money. <coughs> but it turned out that um, The solution was not really useful for Netflix, so they never made use of that. It yeah, was it a was huge, too, like too complex, yeah, huge ensemble kind of models, 
right? Ensemble, and I think matrix factorization. So it I think it was like a huge ensemble of many, many models. If I rem- I may be wrong, but uh, I think it it may have been. In any case, you know, th- this is one of my my, my hate topic and, and favorite topics at once. Um, what do you think about ensemble models? Uh, you cannot win a competition on Kaggle without ensemble. <laughs> <laughs> so. This is perhaps the downside of. of yeah, but on the other hand, I mean, Kaggle really popularized those, right? Yeah. And uh, also, they they say that like ensemble of top ten models is better than than any 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 single one of them. So, what is a simple definition of an ensemble model? Average of of predictions. So you have like two two or f- couple of models that are let's say independent, they may use some different features as input or not. Um, but the idea would be that they put would them be, together. Yeah, you put them together, average predictions from from both. And then they are be- usually better than any, any single. So it's, it's good to to tune for a specific test set. But is it useful or to put ensemble models in production? Is that the core question? Tricky? I would I would really say it depends. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> I would say never. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, um, I'm a bit biased here as well. Uh, so it's one thing how you can optimize for a score that is not always as easy to run as an operational production environment. Something like this. What do you can, think? Could be. I mean, that, that Kaggle takes it to extreme, right? So winning solutions sometimes ensemble like tens or hundreds of models, which is, uh, yeah, maybe a bit too much. But I think if you ensemble like two or three, then it, it, it could be even good for production. I mean, the, 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 sorry, two the or main, three, yeah, man, two or three, not, yes, not hundreds. Not, not hundreds. <laughs> and, and I mean, in one of the competitions I took part in it, so it was, uh, we took uh, ensemble of different checkpoints during training. Mm-hmm. So at, at the training, you just do a checkpoint, train for a couple of more hours, checkpoint, Oh. Checkpoint and ensemble of those was better than any any one of those mm. checkpoints, right? So de- depends. Do you need this? Yeah, edge like one two percent of accuracy. But but let's uh, let's take this an, as, as a much deeper example now. So what's when you're a Kaggle master? What has been the competitions or what, which one has you you succeeded with or won or uh, what was your claim of fame, so to speak? <laughs> <laughs> the highest I got was the. Uh, yeah, in the money prize for one of the YouTube competitions. So there, YouTube provided data with a, okay, I mean, the framing of the competition is also quite complex, but in general, you had data, some kind of data about the couple of million videos, and you had to assign tags to those videos, right? So what is in, what is in the video, basically? I mean, this data was pre-processed by Google, and yeah, they, they tried to shrink it a bit, but still it was like two terabytes of data. Okay. So yeah, that was the most interesting part of the, of the competition. So the sample how did you get the, the compute resources necessary to actually work with that type of data? So, I mean, it was not a problem to run it on, on, on a desktop, right? You just, I had to buy- Terabytes it. of data? Yeah, two terabytes. So I had okay. to buy yeah two 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 more hard drives, but <laughs> <laughs> you run it to, home to, to parallelize. Uh, come on, to re- par- reading from one and writing to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I teamed up with uh, with two other guys, and one of them was doing PhD in uh, in in Spain, I think, as far as I remember, and he had access to like twenty GPUs. So oh, that, yeah. that that was helped us. Yes. Twenty GPUs could help. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of the one of the advantages. 
that's one of the advantages when you do Kaggle competitions recently. Mm. When you have you have to iterate fast with your ideas, right? To to be able to scratch them off the list. And then you want and compute then, power in order to test your ideas fast. It, yes, yes. And before then, I mean running stuff on AWS or Google uh, were too expensive to, to do it. I mean, they, they provided some credits like a yeah, hundred dollars or something in compute <laughs> or thousand, I don't remember. Uh, but that was not enough. That was enough to train one, maybe two models, but not when you have to do like 50 to, to, to win the competition. Right? So if you were to go a bit into depth in, in what your solution was, was this for the, the video understanding challenge one uh, or which was it something else or? Yeah, that was video understanding challenge. Yeah. Uh, so. Can, can if you were to describe your model that you uh, were so successful with, how did it work? Oh my. Uh, I mean, first you have to understand how the data set was, was created. So what YouTube did, uh, they took a couple of millions of videos, I think it was seven. Uh, and then for each of the videos, they cut it after three minutes. And uh, after each second, they took uh, like a screenshot, right? they had an image then they run it this uh, image through inception v3 so kind of uh, image recognition uh, uh, network uh, <clears throat> and they got some and and they cut oh, sorry they cut cut off the last layers of the inception network so they didn't so get the they inception didn't get the model that was trained on ImageNet, yes, and then yes. you take the the last layer to get some kind of feature vector out right yes so, so, so they didn't they didn't get the predictions but they got the feature vector yes and then they run this feature vector through some pca to reduce the dimension yes. because and still it, they ended up with two terabytes of data and uh, so they did sorry they i just want to stop the so we feature vector use, use it a little bit so we we i follow a little bit but so we continue the story i just want to feature vector is we are sort of compressing too much less. i mean in short you know neural network has a large number of, of layers and every layer outputs a set of numbers yeah. and uh, the second to last layer before you actually predict what classes it is should the, predict is set simply a set of i don't know a thousand numbers or something mm. whatever the size was which is called a feature vector. So a feature it, it vector. basically extracts features, something that describes the input data in some way, and that can be used for other tasks. Okay, so, so back to the story. So it's, uh, you still, I, I follow. So yeah. they compress this. Uh, so for each image, you get like a vector of 1024 uh, values. And they did some similar stuff for audio for for the videos. They didn't disclose what algorithms they used or, or anything, but they had a, yeah, they output a similar uh, a feature vector a bit smaller, so we had these two pairs for each video. Had a uh, uh, feature video for, audio vec yeah. vectors, feature vectors. Yeah, and that was for seven million videos. Uh, <laughs> Five million were in the training set, and I think two million were in the train set, uh, test set, right? Because uh, how Kaggle works is that in each competition you have this training set that you train your model on. And then you have a test set on which you, that you don't have this target variable that you're trying to predict, right? And, uh, and you make predictions on this test set. Uh, you get some kind of file with, with, uh, for each, let's say, ID of the video, what, what, what kind of uh, tags you would predict that, that, that this video should have, right? That's your, what we call submission file. You submit that to Kaggle. And then on Kaggle, you have uh, they divided uh, this test set into two, two two parts, public and private. The split it depends on really on the competition. Sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes 70-30, it depends. Uh, and the public part is the one that you can 
track pretty much in real time in during the competition. So you make a submission and they score it and you see your, your you see score on the final metric, right? Yeah. Immediately. And the private one, they do it after the competition finishes and that decides on the final standings. So who will win the competition? Uh, and when you do cargo competitions, you are also limited to the number of entries you can do per day. So three, five, really depends on the competition, but yeah. sometimes even in, the, in this uh, in this YouTube competition, we didn't manage to use all five a day, right? Because running a model, it's like a day sometimes. So yeah, you do one solution. Okay. So what model do you use? You have basically as input then the output from their <coughs> feature vectors, right? Mm -hmm. And then you want to make what kind of, you had a set of tags, like one hot encoded tags, or was the, it the multi-class kind of I mean, that was, that was multi-class cla uh, multi, multi yeah. classification. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, to, to save us space, you, I mean, in, in the predictions, when you train the model, you, you 100 coded, but, uh, what I, I mean, we, we created a lot of different features from those feature vectors. I mean, like typical statistical things like yeah, mean variance, some deviations, uh, mean max average. And, uh, and then, uh, what did we do? I think we did some free layer neural network with a mixture of experts. So yeah, I think that, and we did, we did, we did with a couple different flavors of neural networks. I mean, like different width or depth. It's just the feed forward, like dense layers yes, basically yes. on top of that. Yeah. Okay. Maybe some code. I think it was mostly, mostly, yeah, fully connected even. Because that, even though it was qu quite expensive, but yeah, three layers was enough. I think three, three was the max. Five, three, or four didn't didn't improve much. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean that was a couple of years ago, so I don't remember all the details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. I don't think you yeah. want to reveal. It. I think you actually <laughs> you do know very well, but you just want to don't want to reveal I mean, your secrets. We, we, we wrote ourselves. I mean, many people when they when they. Uh, finish uh, and they are in the money or like top mm -hmm. 10, they write, write down their solutions and they, they put it online on ar archive. Okay. Or so somewhere. You, did you do that as well? Or? Yes, we did. Okay. So our solution is, is published okay. there. And we also were invited to, 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 to present it on some conference. Mm -hmm. What was that? So were you, so were you like the number one or top three or top, did you, uh, do you remember? Three or five. Yeah. I don't remember. I think in the beginning we were, uh, but some teams got disqualified because <laughs> that, that's another thing. Like, I mean, when you do Kaggle competitions, you are not allowed to communicate with other teams outside mm -hmm. of the official forums or something like that. And uh, I mean, someone did, someone did. I mean, do you know how many that participated in this specific challenge in total? Mm, I think there were like 300 teams. I mean, th those really data heavy competitions, when you have uh, like yeah. Yeah, two terabytes of data, they don't attract that many that people. People, people are, fr are afraid of the, of the, Who of can the run? size. Yeah. People are afraid of data. <laughs> it's another <laughs> title or t-shirt. People are afraid of data. I love it. Yes. And, but as a very stupid question, so what's the actual thing that you're trying to score? Is you're trying to predict what type of video this is or classifying videos? What is in the video? What is in the video? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the metric was quite complex. Uh, so they were, I mean, you had to predict a set of labels that, I mean, the tags that you yeah. saw, see on the, on their videos. And they had some score like, 
something related to the position of the label and is it correct or not? I mean, I don't remember. So the ordering of labels was important as well? Yes. Okay. So, so, so you should basically should predict in the end, your, when you, what you spit out, you, you should predict what is the tags that Google would use for this video. Yeah, you cannot predict everything to be Minecraft, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you could. <laughs> Back and you use some kind of mixture of experts, you said. So, so in short, it was some kind of ensemble model of different other models that you took an average for, or, or how did that um, work? That, 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 that happens automatically, like within the model, right? This ensemble. But then we assembled different checkpoints and different ah, okay. models. Yeah, I did that. So, well. I see. No, you were a team. So yeah, we were a team. There were three of us. And, and how, did, how, how was your competences? How, were, how was the team composition? Uh, so one was the guy that was making PhD uh, in in Spain. Mm. What was his strength? What was his <laughs> GPUs? <laughs> GPUs, yeah. yeah. No, 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 GPU I mean, guy. He, he, he had he had good ideas also, and it was was really fast at, at coding that those ideas. I mean, I'm not that fast at coding ideas. I'm uh, usually a slow starter, but he was really good. And then we had also one guy from from Chicago. He had. As far as I remember, he had PhD in physics from Princeton, but yeah, he didn't say where he works or yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he kept it low. Uh, he kept his real job low, but his strengths in the mean, team the, was. The, there are things like a yeah, financial industry when people don't really re reveal and their profiles are not public, right? Yeah. And, so, and another sector as well, but okay. Yeah. Yep. And he, what, what, and his strengths was sort of ideas. Ideas. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, he was he was good in generating good ideas. Probably experience from financial industry. So for for still, if you just go back to the mixture of experts kind of idea, how did you select the checkpoints? Is it just yeah, trial and error, or did you have some specific way to select? You know, these are the uh, trial and error, or maybe rather like okay, I've been waiting like twenty hours for this <laughs> for this model to train. I will take a checkpoint, right? Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, so that that that's or rather you 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 stop training at some point you evaluate your model locally and then you train a couple of hours more and you see okay score maybe improved slightly maybe not and then you take an sample of those and you see oh the score is better than any of those two mm. right so let's let's try another one mm. let's wait a couple of more hours of training and what kind of tech stack were you making use of was you using tensorflow pytorch yeah, tensorflow. tensorflow tensorflow, TensorFlow. Yeah. Yeah. i mean the the data they provided were in tf records so oh, okay. tensorflow was kind of natural so a TF records is a binary format that is kind of developed by Google for TensorFlow. And, and part of the framework, so yes, to speak. Yes. And, and you use notebooks mainly or what, what kind of? No, that was just scripts, Python scripts hmm. at that time. Uh, and yeah, I had only one GPU, 1080 Ti. Hmm. That was, I, I bought it especially for this competition. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I, I also track my energy use, right? So I write all my bills and then I see the spike when I took part in the competition. I actually still have a 1080 in my flat, actually, that I do run what, stuff. What is a 1080? <laughs> this is a GPU, of course, yeah. but could you elaborate? Uh, it's two a, generations back. Maybe. Two generations back, it's NVIDIA. Four, yeah. six years so old or how yeah. old is yeah, it? Yes, yeah. 2016, I think. Yeah. And was that state of the art by then? Yeah, of yeah. course. But, yeah. Go so fast these days. So and, and something uh, that's five years old. And, is and, so uh, old and how much was the uh, was the price of one GPU 1080 state of the art at, at five years ago? Oh, I don't know. Ten thousand. Ten thousand. Yeah. It's, it's an expensive hobby somewhere as well. Yeah. Yeah, but when you are close to being in the money, yeah, if you're <laughs> in the money, you know <laughs> that, that was my bet. Return on investment. It's okay. Yeah. 
it uh, did return, although yeah, uh, Sweden took half of the price. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I mean, great to hear about this uh, really amazing example and, and how successful you were. And, and, and if you just, just were to summarize, if you were to redo it again, you know, what, to, how would you do it? You know, what's the learnings from doing all of this? How do you think, you know, you can succeed in a competition like this in the best way? Mm-hmm. Plan resources a bit better. I mean, I ran out of this space. Because <laughs> 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 also, also the checkpoints for the models were like three to five gigabytes mm. in size. So they accumulate quite fast. Do you have that big fully connected layers that really... Yeah, and you save all the weights. We are doing some also averaging of weights, uh-huh. like uh, exp- exponential moving averages and so on. So over the layers or for checkpoints or for o- o- over weights uh, through steps oh, from steps on each batch, basically. Yeah. So that 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 got expensive. I mean, it 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 bloated bloated the the checkpoint files because the checkpoints uh, consist of all the model weights and everything that that is in the model. So you can read the checkpoint and continue training. And that's the idea of the checkpoint. So it's not only the results from the given point in time, but so yeah. so good resource management or planning or forecasting, yeah. forecasting, yeah. and maybe also yeah, better tracking of of ideas and uh, because at, at the end we have to write kind of a submission for the organizers because when when you are awarded the prize, then you you have a you, you have to give the presentation to to the organizers, right? Mm. And they ask you different questions, and you have to provide some, yeah, maybe statistics or results of your different models. And if you didn't track it, you have to evaluate it. I mean, after finishing the competition, you have a couple of more, more days to, yeah, make it, make a write up so you can, you can. So if you, if you have a structured documentation throughout your write up is way easier. Yes. And the problem was like, okay, I've deleted some checkpoints because (laughs) I ran out of disk space and then I needed uh, exact number how this model scored, right? So I had to rerun it <laughs> even after the competition. But uh. so you, you still came up with some kind of architecture and three-layered uh, dense network or something. Mm-hmm. How, how do you come up with that architecture? Do you just uh, try out different things, or how do you do that? Try and error, yes. <clears throat> and also you try to fit in into resources again. So I mean, GPUs had, uh, I mean, 1080 Ti has 11 gigabytes of RAM, right? So mm-hmm. if you try to fit the a bigger batch because no. you don't want to try train for ages <laughs> and you you want to did you do any hyperparameter tuning things or did you just uh, try it manually you, or you, you try manually for in the beginning for a couple of times like yeah maybe different learning rates mm-hmm. or yeah we, we tried also changing learning rates uh, along the the learning right yeah but uh, and learn, learning rates schedule in some way to change it over time. Yeah, but that was more manual. Manual. Oh, okay. So if if we would summarize this conversation now, uh, for some of the listeners who actually has no background, but also we, I think we, we should also be you know when we have a technical person like this, let's go into depth at some point as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, no, it's no, nice no. To and we did it now. That's the point. Ah, we did it now, that, and we can go. Much, do you want to yeah. go more nerdy a little bit more? Ah, yeah. We can, but okay. So let's do. Let, let's continue on the on the really deep side because yeah. we have the really deep <coughs> listeners. Yes. But then I think we should try to basically summarize, like an executive summary of mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. for someone who is not fully in the deep learning space. So please go deeper uh, if you want to. But I, I also yeah. think if we can explain what this is all about for someone who's not in the know, it's it's quite hard, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, because you need to understand what's the what's the problem first. Exactly. Right? And you need to be a bit technical to understand the problem. Yeah. Mm. But this is an interesting conversation in, in itself. If we if we move further on on you know uh, when we finish this topic, um, I think this is one of the data AI uh, gaps, right? The data literacy before between business people that even be able to follow. And it's, it's a hurdle that you need to have data competence to some degree in order to start having a good conversation. But then they don't need to know all the details, right? They're interested in, in the outcomes. But maybe we should go there later, but that's a good topic then. So what do I need to know in order to work effectively mm. uh, with, your, with your data scientists guys for this to work? Do you need to understand or not? I mean, like this is a really good topic actually. Yeah, I think so. But maybe we should finish this topic, and, or maybe after. No, I, I just think it's so fun to go into technical depth, but perhaps we've we gone too far already. But okay, so for this specific challenge, at mm -hmm. least, uh, you basically had a, a dense network and you were experimenting with different techniques like checkpointing over time and creating a mixture of experts over different checkpoints yeah. and models that you had. And uh, moving coverages of, of weights and different parameters. Mm -hmm. Did you, do you and any sense of you know what was the biggest added value of these techniques? Was it the the I think moving the, average part? Or? I think the moving coverages yeah. and ensemble. <laughs> do, do you still do you still like an ensembles? I mean, I know they are effective, but from if, if you were to use it in Canva or or at you know in some I mean, professional if, if, if you are able to create uh, like two different models which make predictions that are a bit uncorrelated. Mm. and still have a good, like, let's say, target metric, mm. precision or whatever you use, then I think it's humble. Yeah. yeah, why That's not? Good, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the main idea is that they need to be uncorrelated, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Diverse in some way. So yeah. Different views on yeah. the same. It's like having a group of 10 people trying to make a decision, and some people have different background knowledge, and if they make a combined decision, then hopefully yeah. you have an overall kind of more stable decision in some way. Yeah, so like business people try to say that you should have diversity in your teams, right? So yeah. now you have diversity in your models. Yeah, and, we have and, diversity and, here, right? We have and, <laughs> and the diversity in the models means in, in that it, they should be uncorrelated. Yeah. So they, they make like deep learning models can use different architecture or they can use different input features or yeah, they can before we move, I'd like to move into to more of the tooling space and how to track experiments and things like that, because I think that's an interesting learning in itself. But perhaps we could bring up one more challenge. Is, is there some other challenge that you found extra interesting in some way that you could uh, mention and talk a bit about besides the video understanding challenge? Mm -hmm. There was one about the yeah, satellite images. Mm -hmm. uh, the company was sponsored by Statoil and they had... Uh, images from satellites. I, I make images because those are microwaves being sent by satellites and they bounce back and satellites read that and you have just a yeah, reading from mic of microwaves, um, but you can display them as an image, right? So then you have, depending of what color grading you pick, you can see some, yeah, let's say blue and, and green, right? Uh, Did it have many challenges as well or was it a single channel? Uh, kind of two-dimensional. Th those were two channels. I mean, there was like horizontal and vertical. Right. So I, I know that by fast, I remember there are also three-channel uh, satellites that do also like uh, some cross. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you have vertical uh, signal, horizontal signal, and they, they they do either cross or they do both at once. I don't I don't remember. But there was some 
you, you have to, you had to re- read a bit about yeah satellites too, <laughs> and how they do imaging from there. Uh, but the competition itself was about recognizing in the uh, in those images uh, if there's an iceberg or or a ship. That's one. Oh. Okay. So so it's a binary classification problem more or less mm-hmm. iceberg or, ch- or yes. ship, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is a famous one, I think. Um, cool. And can you just speak a bit more? Uh, it, what was the call of the name of it? Was it uh, Iceberg Challenge? Yeah, or something like that. I think yeah. I've heard about that before, actually. I think it's kind of famous. So, uh, I mean, uh, two guys from Sweden ended up quite high in the, in the leaderboard as far as oh, okay. I think one of them would work at Spotify. Oh, really? Kirill? Oh, Kirill, of course. Yeah, he's another. We had him actually on, on the show as well. He, he's a, yeah, he's a good kaggler as well. Um, cool. And and can you just speak about, you know, how did you approach the problem? And, and think more now, like if someone else were to, in, were interested in doing kaggle challenge and they see the mm-hmm. problem, they see the data, okay, they know it's images, they have a number of challenge uh, channels in that. And they should make basically do a, a binary classification prediction from that. How do you proceed? What, what would be the first step that you take to start to uh, read up that? if or Google if there's something similar being done in the in production? Let's say in and the, read up in, in the world. Like you do I Google, Google they'll try to sign some research papers about yeah identifying uh, iceberg. Maybe not icebergs, but yeah, any kind of images, right, mm-hmm. from the satellite or how those microwave satellites work, mm-hmm. right? What what what's the problem of having a vertical and horizontal reading from the satellite? What what does it mean, right? Uh, so, so building up your domain knowledge, domain knowledge, in, uh, or yeah, fundamental yeah, you, you problem sense, knowledge, sense, yeah. problem or understanding, because. Uh, Often in those Kaggle competitions, you'll have some domain experts taking part, or you can ask compet- uh, or competition organizers questions, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to know what they are talking about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if, if you are completely new to a competition, you can wait like a week or two, then the, the forum on, on the competition will build up with a, a lot of domain knowledge and people asking yeah, interesting questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them also publishing uh, like a sample sample models that you can start your your journey right. from. Yeah. So the community <coughs> is quite friendly and helpful. Yeah, it, it's very very friendly and very helpful, and that's a best place to learn machine learning. I would say if you are really want to do only machine learning, not uh, not data cleaning, DevOps, and all the things around operationalizing. Operationalizing. Yeah. If you, yeah. Not operate, but really modeling, yeah, right? Modeling. So hanging out with Kaggle, the Kaggle community is a really good school. Yeah. The community, yeah? No, I mean, like, uh, there's also one quite big uh, Slack channel, Kaggle Noobs, and there are like 13,000 people there. Mm. And uh, probably like 500 active in total. But yeah, we there are a lot of people from the top of the Kaggle leaderboard there. Mm. And they are, yeah, really helpful. Okay, so you read up a bit about you know how, how the satellite imagery imagery works, um, yeah. etc. And and what's the next step that you I do? mean you you set up your project, how yeah. to say right? So basic structuring and you need you need yeah let's say folders for yeah input data, output data, different cross validation outputs. Maybe set up some n- notebook, not Jupyter notebook, at the notebook to you know keep up keep keep the track of your of your. Mm. You uh, never use a Jupyter notebook and these kind of things. Uh, sometimes I do, just you know, if you need to plot something fast and yeah. uh, and uh, get the feedback quite fast, it's it's more handy than script. Mm. But uh, if you have something 
some model to run for hours, then you prefer to do it yeah. from from the script. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, and no nowadays they're also Kaggle. They, I think they renamed it from kernels to notebooks. Mm. So they they have notebooks that run on Google infrastructure, and yeah, right. you can you can you can run your models there. You mean in the Kaggle website, basically, they can yes, provide yes, yes. notebooks that you can use and, and access GPUs. Yes, also GPUs and without GPUs, also they have CPU versions. Uh, some of them have internet connections or not. It also depends on the competition rules. Mm -hmm. uh, so you may not be able to install, for example, some pa external packages. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. But, but 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 so you read up a bit about the competition. What is it about? Try to under oh, that's also important thing. Uh, try to understand the target metric right. because yeah. it's not the same from competition to competition, and you get uh, some metrics are more strange than the others. Some mm -hmm. are more familiar. Some you can use directly in your you know training because it's like differentiable and so on. It's a nice metric, but some are not. Do you so, remember what the metric was for this um, iceberg challenge? No. <laughs> <laughs> but something like precision recall, AOC, or uh, something like that, or R2 square, or? Uh, I'm not even trying to guess. I don't okay. remember. Okay. Uh, yeah, but try to understand the metric. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, they are repetitive, of course. They, they are not making up metrics from competition to competition. So just try to find previous, previous uh, competitions that were using these metrics. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, sometimes it, it get, you can get quite a lot from checking different competitions. Like, I think there was uh, this, uh, they call it uh, data science bowl, right? Like an annual competition. Super like, bowl. Yeah, data science some, bowl. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so that's, that's, that, that's the idea behind it. Uh, but that was a classification problem. But if you check the metric and the history, there was a competition that used a regression just just a regression and just tuning the the cutoff points, and that performed much better than any standard classification algorithm really? for this type, type of competition. Uh, so yeah, reading up about the metric, checking what has been done in the past. Mm, yeah. But but okay. So and then you build your first model and you try try to to yeah. see what the performance is and you try to iterate, I guess, as quickly as you can. Or, or can yeah. you just describe, you know. How agile is the, the process? So and what you need to do is uh, build a robust cross-validation. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you are limited in number of submissions a day. And then if the competition is, uh, is small in a way that the data set is small, that you can iterate quite fast, then you will use those submissions quite fast. And you don't want to overfit to the leaderboard. I mean, leaderboard gives you some feedback, but that's a fraction of the whole data set. And it's not target. the same as the target. It's, yeah, it's a fraction of this target, right? Yeah. So uh, it may differ a bit from the distribution of the data can differ a bit in the, in, then in the final, the one that is used for private leaderboard that will, that will uh, define the final standings. Mm -hmm. So if the distribution of the target variable differs, you may optimize for something slightly different, right? And although you see only one score on the on the on the leaderboard, you can. But, but if, I if you understand you correctly, you basically take the training data you do have and split that up into some kind of validation set at least, yes. so you can iterate. Yes, you, usually, you do a couple of folds yeah. validation, right? So yeah. five fold, ten fold. Yeah. Okay. Depends on the size of the data set. Yeah. And then people, of course, do 
stacking and, and ensemble of those. So they train do you, do you move directly into ensemble models or do you like no, try no, 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 you try it first, like how, how the single models perform. Because yeah. when you, when you have to do the write up, they ask you, okay, you, you made an ensemble of those five models. Mm -hmm. What were the scores of those five models right. separately? Yeah. So you have to test them in some way. Yeah. Right. But uh, if you develop a robust uh, cross validation, then you can see that, okay, your submission local, you, your test locally produces similar results to the test on the public leaderboard, right? And if you make a couple of submissions and you see that they go in the same direction, I mean, it's not that public, your, your score on Kaggle will go up and your local leaderboard goes, uh, cross-validation result goes down and something is off. Maybe you should tweak your cross-validation, cross right? Yeah. So you need some stratification there and yeah, there are different ways of. Uh, and just for tech nerds out there for this iceberg challenge, you know, what, um, what was the input data? It was the two dimensional images in, in number of channels and, and then simply binary classification. So what type of model did you use for this? I don't remember what was the model. I it wasn't a dense model at least. It was me, must be <coughs> some kind of convolutional model, right? Or uh, <coughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, you tried to do convolutional, but I also did some, uh, Fourier transformations mm -hmm. on those uh, on those uh, yeah signals and uh, and use that as a separate input on the side. So I combined like yeah output from the convolution and I think I had some full full uh, like a how do you call it? I love the word like a long. You 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 shape the matrix to be like just a vector, right? Ah, uh, you, you unroll it or yeah, you flatten, yeah, yeah flat, flatten. Oh, flatten, flatten, flatten. Yeah. So I flattened the layer and then I added those, yeah, Fourier transformations on the side. And I, I, I took, <coughs> sorry, I took like a minimum and maximum from those Fourier transformations because you could see uh, if you did those Fourier transformations and took some averages from each image and you plotted that, you could mm -hmm. see that yeah, iceberg. Usually, if it's a big iceberg, it cuts off the signal on the specific uh, frequency. So I'm trying to understand the intuition yeah. behind the Fourier transform. And normally, <coughs> you know, the Fourier transform has some kind of periodicity it's trying to detect in, in the data. And in this case, you have pixels that is unflattened in some way. Yeah, but I mean, you have uh, uh, that's that's a object on the sea, right? So you yeah. have waves around. So you, uh, you expect the waves, maybe there's some. Okay, so every you know, row has some kind of periodicity yeah. in it. Okay, oh, and you expect that maybe there is some, you know, difference between top and bottom of the wave, oh. and then that the object that you are trying to identify will be you can identify the height maybe, right? Mm. But then, so what I did like for each, let's say, row of an image, I did a Fourier transformation, then took average of Fourier transformations of the whole image, mm. and then uh, then I yeah, acted on that. So mm. I tried to find some threshold that would say that, yeah, it's a ship or not. And you didn't even use convolutional then? So you just fed it into I mean, dense uh, or what? I mean, I used convolutions on the side, right? So we had like a, okay. yeah, I don't know how to call it, C, not, not CMEs, but yeah, two, two, two networks that diverge. In parallel, sorry. Yeah. So input were fed into two parallel branches in some way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And one was the convolutional, and another one was the uh, more Fourier feature engineering branch, if you call yes. it that. Yeah. Cool. In, in the end, I mean, a big part of the competition was also to identify that some of the test data were synthetic. So, oh, really? It was? <laughs> yeah, so you could, 
I don't remember what was the the idea behind it, but there was something like if somebody found some threshold or some some something in the name of the files that you if you cut files with this in this pattern, then yeah. Uh, also, they could actually cheat because the data was not really real in that sense. Or there was not enough data, so some of it was synthetic. But if you if you identify the synthetic, then you you get more real distribution of the of the data set, right? So many tricks. Uh, so there's a backdoor to the problem. I mean, there, there are a couple of things, right? That you try to also when you're doing your cross building your cross validation, you try to mm, check or mimic the distribution of the test set, right? Not the not split the train set uh, evenly, like make it stratified in the sense that you divide the train set into different small chunks, right? And you don't want each chunk to have the same distribution of data as the whole training set, but you want it to be the, have the same as a test set, right? Because that's what you aim for. Now okay. I want to go in and I'll stop here. Now <laughs> Sorry for we going have been so deep nerding, <laughs> going down and down and down, and I've been trying to follow, yeah. and I, I don't follow, right? Mm. Uh, of course I don't follow because I'm a business person. Mm. At the same time, I I'm, I want to follow, I want to learn, and actually uh, a main point I want to stress to everyone by listening and trying to follow, even if I don't follow on, on the detail level, I, I follow concepts. Uh, so I think it's very helpful Yes, Sorry, I just reminded myself how they identified those. Uh, <laughs> the nerve <laughs> not fake fake at all. Yeah. I mean, they pr they provided coordinates of of the where the image comes from, right? And they um, found that above some threshold, oh, there's synthetic. Oh. I think that was that was the idea. Was, do you remember the winning solution? What they I think the winning was also You're so using funny, this uh, uh, this uh, oh. yeah altitude, mm. right? So there are more ships here, and uh, if the lower you are, the fewer icebergs you have, right? Oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, but it's good. It's it's so cool. You get passionate down on the nitty gritty stuff, and but I think it, there's a there's a very healthy conversation we can have now. Hmm? Yeah. What? Just one comment. That's why they call it data science. It's so data science. Yeah, yeah, data science. But if from business perspective, you know, how much does the business person need to follow, or what is the <coughs> business person's job? in order to work effectively together with the data scientists in this business problem translation. Because when we go down to the, 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 into the convolutional network, of course, there's nothing I can do here, right? But what is my job as a business person is to help the data scientist, you know, build good models or build good systems. Don't so, disturb. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what, no, but jokes what aside, is my uh, job? What is my job? You know, to, to have a really good team. What is my job? Define in, a problem in a sense that you're not defining a solution, but you're saying, where's the problem? Okay, no, and let's, let's no, talk about not defining. Really, but not really where is the, what is the problem, but where is the problem? But this, I think this, I, I actually have a, an anecdote where I, where I had, uh, when I worked at, 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 at a large utility, I worked, I, I came up and, you know, I had my five minutes in one of the export members, you know, you know, Henrik, you know, you, 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 you're running around in here. You know, what's the problem? What, what's, what's the problem we have in Vattenfall right now? If we want to, we, we want to accelerate. And I actually, I said one thing, you know, right now, before you can, you, we, let's talk about one thing only. We have a, a business to analytics translation problem, 
I said, like, forget about everything else. But right now, we 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 at, in the business don't even know how to define, or or we and or you know we don't have a lingo to translate the problem. So so this core topic now, how do I how should I now define the problem, uh, so you can translate it for me or whatever? I think is really good. So what's the problem definition we need? What, what is a, what is a good problem definition from a business point of view? How, how can we can we look at that? I mean, it's, it's really, I think, case by case dependent. I yeah. mean, you cannot generalize. No? I think it's easier to define what the bad one is. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it's many cases where perhaps non-technical people come up with saying, this is a solution you should provide. Right. We just wanted to fix this because this is a solution. Please implement it. And they don't really provide what the end use case will be, uh, which may require a completely different solution instead of... Um, you know, what the, the, the business or the person that is not perhaps super technical mm -hmm. uh, may know of. Yeah, I agree. I mean, th they try to uh, ask you to implement the solution just straight yes. away. Not yeah, but but let, let me be let me a little bit sharper then. I mean, like uh, leading question or leading uh, hypothesis. I think typically when the business person comes with a problem, he is way too broad and we have, we need to go layers and layers deeper to make it into an algorithmic problem we can solve. So I want to increase sales. Come on, go and do some AI, increase sales. So where do you go from there? You know, where do we go from there? Because th this is reality, right? Yeah. I heard AI can fix my sales funnel. Let's go. What, where do we go? Let, let's take this as an example. Like what is a good problem that we can solve now? I think this is core. Yeah. They don't understand how to define it. Have what an is anecdote, but but if do you have, do any you have an good idea first? I mean, like you, 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 I'm sure you have examples in your current. I want to look yeah. at this in this metric, and you need to then basically take it deeper. Or I mean, not really. I mean, we are more, let's say, software company, right? So you people, may people, you may savvy. understand. Yeah, you're more savvy already, maybe. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, just to give a quick example, uh, someone you know said you know we we want to be able to do this kind of matching between people and. Um, Maybe a bit abstract, so I don't reveal what I'm meaning. Um, people and jobs or tasks or something, yes. And then they said, you know, we, we need to use uh, named entity recognition. I, I saw that's an awesome thing in NLP, and and, and we we so say, someone we want, yes, we, we want to implement uh, named entity recognition. Can you do that in the best possible way? Um, and sure, we, we can do that. But then you think, you know, what do you really want to do in the end? It's a kind of matching problem they want to do. And perhaps, you know, named entity recognition is not really the solution to it. It could be some other way you can do it, which is much more, you know, efficient, uh, given the, the current way we can use AI. So I think that's a typical example of someone that is, you know, focused in the beginning of a solution rather than describing the problem that you want to do in the end. Yeah. So always thinking about, you know, what, what do you really want to use it for? Understanding the, the business problem is something I think every data scientist should always ask, you know, Ask once and twice and third, three times, you know, what, how do you want to use it? Tell me, you know, how you want to put this in production. What is the interface? What is the, the actual either user or programming interface you want to use it in? And, and go from that. So that's so often yeah. misunderstood, I, I think. Yeah. I have a question for you. So how often do you speak with your data science teams? Me? Yeah. I mean, there is a data science team in Scania, right? Yeah, for me, all the time. 
Yeah. Right. So we we it's a, it's a, we 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 work as a business cross business to to engineering DevOps team. So I think that's that's how you start to fix this. That you work on a daily basis in a cross functional team where someone has the business understanding and are used to talking with with the data engineers and data scientists on a daily basis. Then this becomes less of a problem. But, but then you can ask me, okay, how often does a, a, a part of Scania that, has, that doesn't have a data science team talk with data scientists? Not so often. So, so it, it was a leading question sort of thing. Yeah. But, but uh, are the typical problems, leading question, or pat, type of problems that are more suitable to solve with AI, like matching and recognition problems and stuff like that? Or, you know, can we give some <coughs> hints or tips or thinkings like, uh, wh when is AI a suitable approach at all? Or when, forget about it, use visualizations, use something else. When you have systematic way of getting the data. Systematic way of getting the data? Yeah, because if you don't have the data, then you will have no use of it, right? Even if you create a model, then if you don't get new data to make predictions on them, what's the use? Could you give an example? I, I agree, but could we give an example to make it more tangible? Uh, I, I have some chatbot examples. It's my favorite hate topic to speak about. <laughs> and, and chatbots, you know, it's another, like, it was really what I was thinking about for the named entity recognition part, actually. Um, but... It, it's so many examples where people say, you know, we have huge amount of data. We we have saved every kind of mail that we have, and we have saved, you know, blah blah blah. But they don't have the annotations for it. They don't know what was true and what was false. They don't have anything to train on, and and they don't understand that they they also need that to be able to train in a model to do something usually. And, and, and I think it's a typical example of people don't understanding, you know, if you don't have the right data and actually high quality type of data that is not no noisy. I mean, it, another example is, I think, finance. You mm -hmm. say, we have 10 years of data, no problem. And, and we have the target, you know, it's just looking two days ahead, you know, we have so much data. Well, yeah, but the quality of data then, do you have any kind of predictive power in the data at all to, to really make this useful? Probably not. So it even starts here, right? That you need to work together with your data scientists to understand what data you need and, and even start cleaning up the, or even starting tagging and annotating and making other metrics in your data. I think it's a huge hurdle. What do you but think? How, how do you think you in Canva, you know, I'm not sure how much you, how much you can speak about details there. I know you, you, sh you can't, of course, go, go into detail, but do you work closely with data science people and the product teams that you have or how does that work? Mm, depends on the use case. So sometimes we, we work on our own stuff and sometimes, yeah, because you, you want, sometimes you want to create something and show that it works mm -hmm. and then they can bring it to the product. I mean, it's rather you create a proof of concept, right? And show it that it right. works and then they, it can be productionized. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be, yeah fully fledged final solution that you could input straight away into production. So right now you have a centralized data science team that you, you lead yeah. as well. And, and uh, do you have other people also embedded in some product teams, like analysts or something? No, or, no? Uh, no analysts, yes, analysts, yes. But yes. Uh, I mean, they're not, an, it changes. Yeah. They used to be, now I think they're not, but they are assigned to some teams. Yeah. And what's the difference between a business analyst and a data scientist in Canby? 
Mm, analysts don't create models, I would say. And we try to, yeah, create models to yeah, you predict, could. automate, or... Yeah. So the analysts would work in slightly different tool sets, maybe? Or? You may say that, uh, yeah, tool set doesn't have to be different because, I mean, they can still use Python or use yeah. Square, the same databases, right? Uh, it's rather that they they have more descriptive yeah. role, right? So they prepare presentations or reports, reports over via yeah, so yeah, some, some, some product was 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 rolled out what's the performance that he did it change or not what 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 have how have the kpis changed yeah so it's, so the, the main difference is the predictive modeling is yeah. would that be fair summary yeah. <clears throat> cool uh, i'd like to move to another topic let's let's, let's i mean it's, i think it's an important topic how we frame problems but it's also hard to it's very abstract and and i think the my main advice is that you know, it's the, it's the four, you know, Toyota Kaisen, yes. ask why four times. When you think you know, we'll take it again. And then I think you need to work over time with data scientists until you start recognizing what is a type, what is an AI problem that mm. can be solved with AI and what is then ultimately the data and annotation needed. Yeah. Because you can I mean, solve perhaps this. Perhaps a, a question then, you know, continuing on that topic is really how, how do you pri prioritize, you know, the work that you do in a data science team? Or how would you advise people that, you know, this is something that a data science team working centrally in a company should focus on? You know, how, how do you choose? I mean, if it's a new team, right, and it's like it doesn't have its position in the company, then, yeah, get some low-hanging fruits, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that usually comes either you... I mean, it, it's very hard if you if you take people from outside of the company, right? Put them into yeah, that's your data science team and yeah. let them solve the problems because they know they don't know what what are the problems. The right? domain knowledge, yeah, the domain knowledge. Yeah, but but how much should be coming from the data science team itself, so saying you know this is something we should spend time on, on, and how much is coming from management team perhaps, or how much is coming from product teams, or it's, uh, I mean. There is no rule, I would say. So, I mean, the, the idea is, I mean, the data, as I said in the beginning, I came to come before data, right? The data is really broad. And even after those years of working there, I don't have the like full understanding of everything. Mm -hmm. And also the domain develops very fast. So it's very hard to keep a track of, of what has changed. Mm -hmm. And after you get to know the data, you can come up with some some problem, you know what doesn't work, what works, and where you can can do some improvements, right? But that, that that comes with time. So I guess if you create a new team in a company that doesn't have a experience domain knowledge, uh, then probably the problem should come from product owners and management. But if you have if you if the team got experience with the working with the company's data and the resources they have, they may come with their own. Uh, yeah, problems, definitions. But, but well, so when you brought in a, a data science team, di did you now learn, like, uh, because I think it's, this is a long learning a journey that you build up domain knowledge, but you also build up a better understanding of the data. You might realize there is missing annotations. So you start doing things a little bit differently that allows you to do more and more fun data science. Is that a fair summary or like, as you grow and learn your data, do you understand what you have and not have and what you can add? I mean, in a business like we have, you wouldn't annotate your the data yourself, because no. then how would you get it in production? You would sit and annotate in real yeah. time. <laughs> no. 
So, it's, it's, so, it's, so, so you, you have to make use of what you have mm-hmm. or see if there's a way to buy maybe annotated data. If there's no annotated data to buy, then maybe you, some development team should, yeah. But, but in, in, in reality, the, your, your core production systems and the systems where your user is using it, it's, a, it's about making sure that things are captured and tagged. So you get it right as and uh, classified or, or tagged. So you yeah, but I mean that usually come with a problem, right? You don't try to tag everything you have because that would be also a waste of yeah. resources. So first you come with a problem, then you see, okay, I don't have the data for that. Can we get it right? Yeah. And then you can put this. You can suspend this project, yeah. and they ta- they can work on you, you work data. Moving into yeah. one of my favorite topics. This is here, interesting. So, um, this is because I, this is the chicken <laughs> and the egg, right? You know what to do. You know how to do it, but the, the data points are not really there. You know what do you do? But but I mean, it's like with 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 science and research, right? You have a lot of ideas, and you have to scrape them off because some some work. of them don't work, don't or fly. you don't have the data, or maybe it will take years to get the data. And I I I, I think you are jumping on active learning techniques. Yes. So let's go there a little bit. But let's take a concrete example. I think it's easier for people to follow them. So I'm I'm trying to just make up an example now in Kambi. Let's say that you want to classify people that are using uh, Kambi's systems in some way and saying they are either, I'm just making things up now, um, uh, super engaged people versus passive people, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, working. And, And you want to classify that, you know, just knowing is that that type of person or not. And you don't have the data or the annotations. You have the data, of course. You can have a lot of input features about mm. each user and, and what they do and how they act and, and what they do. But the, it, you need the, the actual annotation, the label for it. And, and then you want to you know, figure out how, how to fix that. And, and you said something, you know, it's, it's hard to do that when you have in production and, and perhaps you don't want to do it yourself as a data scientist. But if you still would like to do you know, if you would like to have mm. these annotations... Um, how would you go about doing it in the best I way? I guess label part of the data, train a model on that, and have a proxy for mm. production. So re- have two models in production, like two-step models. Yeah. One to predict the label that you want to have, and the other to that uses this label. Mm. Uh, let, let, let's say you may, you may say somebody is, a, I don't know, high spender or low spender, right? You yeah. can just have a threshold exactly. for that a dummy model. Like right. a you can simplified do, model. That yeah, yeah, and you can like do that proxy production. So. Um, I'm not sure if you heard about these terms like active learning, etc. That can is it the same like online learning. No. Like you have been advertising that you have feedback straight away. No, it, it's model. a bit different. It, it's simply you said I think a very important thing before is that you can never annotate everything. It's too expensive, and you would never have the time and resources to do so. So then the question is more, you know, if you were to have some guidance in what data points to annotate, how, how would you find out, you know, what data points should need annotations to just maximize the performance of the model? Mm-hmm. And it could be, you know, very simplistic one is simply to look at if you just do predictions, you know, using the current model you have, some kind of score from the model would indicate a lack of confidence. So you mm-hmm. could use some kind of max entropy or some kind of confidence measure from the model prediction saying, I'm really unsure right now as a model mm-hmm. uh, if this is uh, yes or no. Therefore, please annotate this one. And, and that could be, there are a number of these kind of active, active learning techniques to, to try to help you to guide saying, these are the data points that is of highest need of annotation right now. Do you think that could be a useful way uh, f- 
for Cambi in some way or, or for other companies that wants to build up like uh, annotated data that can be used for training models? But then you'd end up with a very skewed data set, right? With those highly, let's say, risky or highly, I don't know, the ones that needed really annotation. And what about the rest? Mm -hmm. Right. So I like your question already, but okay. So, so I, I can speak forever about this, but I shouldn't. But I, I think you know one of the problems with active learning is that they only focus on the very unsure, unconfident kind of, of data points, and you want diversity with that. So otherwise, you just annotate the exact same data point that are very, very similar, and yeah. the model is always unsure about. So you just annotate like hundreds of data points that are exactly the same, and the model doesn't you know benefit from from having you know one or a hundred. So having an increased diversity is one thing, and there are actually techniques like bolts or batch knobs and what's not to, to, to try with that. But I think the exact opposite of what you just said is very important, saying, what if you have wrong annotations? You know, what if the model is super confident, saying, I'm 100% sure it, this is a high spender? Mm. But then you have some annotation saying it's not actually. And then it's probably a wrong annotation, and, and you need some technique to, uh, to catch that as well. I think that that catches, I think, in a very important problem, which is not captured by Kaggle competitions, which is actually something I, I think is very important and, and telling in some way that in, in Kaggle and academic data sets, everything is super cleaned up. Everything is assumed to be perfectly or, order, mm -hmm. uh, unless you have this kind of synthetic data that you can identify and, and you know, abuse in some way. But in, in real life, you know, then labels are noisy. You can't assume every lab label is correct and you must handle I mean, that. that. That was the case of this YouTube competition also. Okay. They, yeah. they, the, the labels didn't have to be 100% correct. You mm. didn't know which were, mm. which not. Yeah. They had, a, I think, a team dedicated to verify those labels for the test set. Yeah. So they would be yeah correct, but only for the test set, not for everything. Ah, it's a super interesting problem. And I, I wish, you know, more research were being done in this. And actually this connects to Kaggle as well. And, and I think one of the first presidents was this Jeremy Howard, if I'm not mistaken, of Kaggle. Mm -hmm. And he's actually the, the founder of Fast AI mm -hmm. these days. But he said an interesting thing about the research being done in deep learning. Mm -hmm. and, and that basically is that, uh, yeah, he more or less said, I'm paraphrasing a bit, that uh, the current research in deep learning is a complete waste of time. And what he meant with that was, if I'm also guessing a bit what he meant, but, but basically saying that it's so much research being spent on just you know, uh, obtaining one half percentage point in the leaderboard for some academic data set. And that's not really what the need is from industry or more mm -hmm. practical use cases. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you would? Yeah, I would be this. Like if you look at the papers, everybody's chasing the state of art, right? Just yeah, exactly. The SOTA record, you know. Is yeah, a, maybe just shuffling the data set a bit and uh, it will give you different results. Yeah, or just putting together an ensemble model. <laughs> <laughs> but but how, how do you, well, what do you think, like if you, if you go back to real life, your, you, what, what is the real life problems that is worth solving or researching when you think about what your real data science work is all about in production? So what, what are the things that are hard or things we should be better at? Um, I, I think annotation and active learning techniques. I think, you know, and we talked about uh, self-supervised learning techniques yeah. and stuff like that is super, super important. Uh, what do you think? Access to data, right? Access if, you, if, to you, if you even take the, the coronavirus, 
Mm. Uh, in China, they just took all the x-rays from however <laughs> many people they wanted and they built model to recognize if it's real pneumonia mm. or caused by coronavirus. In Europe, you have GDPR <sighs> and yeah. And yeah, that would be a problem. Oof, I'm biting my tongue right now. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is certainly a, an interesting problem. How do you solve this kind of, you know, you still want, of course, to preserve the privacy of people, but then you have the other challenge of, you know, imagine all the, the or the opportunity cost of not being able to use AI when it could be used for so many good things. But yeah, we need, we need some kind of... Yeah, we need, we, we need another problem. model that doesn't do is so polarizing it needs to be understanding of opportunity cost that it's actually worth yeah but then whom who can decide, decide who who makes the money on it and right and uh, google getting like a lot of medical data from nhs mm-hmm. yeah. pretty much for free and so why google why not some yeah startup yeah. so speaking about google i think we could move into the next topic and, yes. and then this would be the ai divide topic potentially yeah. and, and then you know google buying kaggle for example and, and what the implication of that would be and um, we've been speaking a bit about the, the, the concept of AI divide before. Have you heard about that concept? Or, so it's basically that, uh, you know, we have a, a few set of top tech giants in US and China, you know, the Google, the Facebook, the Amazons, Microsofts of the world, Apple, Apple, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> and also in China, of course, you have the Baidu and Alibaba and uh, Tencent and uh, mm-hmm. these kind of really, really big tech giants. And, and they know how to, they have all the data. They know how to use the data. They have the knowledge. They have the research groups. They have you know That's everything. Legal they department. Need. <laughs> legal departments, and they can easily comply with GDPR and whatnot. And, and they basically are the most valuable companies in the world right now. Mm. So this kind of divide between the few that have you know all these kind of knowledge mm-hmm. and access to data and uh, are able and the infrastructure in place to, to make use of it. It's just increasing, accelerating a bit. And and then, you know, Google with so much money and, and they can buy Kaggle and hopefully they don't destroy the purpose of Kaggle. Or what do you think the future will be now when, when Google owns Kaggle, for example? Do you think still it's... Um, I think the only thing that changed was that there there are some research competition that you don't really get the money, but you get, yeah, invitation to the conference. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you work on their research project like I mean, so, so if you were to guess why do you think google bought kaggle mm, maybe also for recruitment because <laughs> um, i mean th- th- there are there were competitions that the sole purpose was recruitment right facebook had uh, like three or four competitions like that mm-hmm. uh so the, the people from like top 100 got an invitation for an interview uh, if they wanted uh, couldn't they do that without buying kaggle you think couldn't they simply scrape the, the Kaggle website and, and see who is leading that? Or why did it need to buy Kaggle for that? To, to get a constant flow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can scrape. Data access. You, you, you can scrape No, more, but it's right? an interesting point but because why did they buy Kaggle? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's, what's Google's angle to buy Kaggle? Yeah, why mm-hmm. I think it's a similar, actually, question. Um, I mean, GitHub for me is is a library and and, 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 and or the whole it's a community and you find all that you have it across. You have uh, Viper bo- buying Topcoder. Topcoder uh, yeah, is very Vipro. similar to to yeah. to Kaggle, and uh, GitHub was the same, and LinkedIn is the same. It's access to customers, right, and know how. Yeah. So, 
Here we have a database of one million people interested is, in data. Is, is one million people of, is the database of one million people interested in data? Yeah, curated yeah. database. Curated <laughs> data, yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-curated. No, because, because who, 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 who would not like to have a database of one million data scientists? Well, uh, maybe that's a good enough answer. I, I, I don't question it. But, uh, but, uh, but it's a little bit like, uh, well, like to buy GitLab or GitHub, then, then you're buying into the sort of core infrastructure framework or basically tool sets that people work. So, so Microsoft or, or they, they, you know, they want to, they want to be part, they want to own the data scientist toolbox. I get that. You know, that, that makes sense. Microsoft is a tool company and here is a big part of the tool now. Uh, GitLab, uh, GitHub. But speaking about Google and Kaggle, uh, I think it might be they, that's a, they might have bought a feedback loop for developing their product, right? Ah. So they have collaboratory, this uh, mm. Google kind of notebooks that work on Google infrastructure ah. and they have Kaggle kernels so they can improve collaboratory based on that, that, that is a commercial product. Uh, based on the feedback that they get from from the, all the data scientists on Kaggle. As in, now this is interesting. Yeah. It's not the purpose of thing. But well, it, uh, I mean, Colab is so successful anyway, isn't it? Or I don't know. I don't have the data. No. <laughs> well, what is your <laughs> understanding? Why did Google buy Kaggle? But before, sorry, before Kaggle, they didn't have collaboratory. They didn't have Colab, yes, right? Sir. I'm, I'm not sure about the order, but it, it was developed separately at least, right? Yeah. And they are still separate product. I mean, yeah. when you talk with developers from, of, from Kaggle, they, it's a completely different product. They have different roadmaps and so on. But maybe they use learnings one from the other. But but, but at some some place, this is a talent war we are dealing with. And, and I, I think that has to be one part of it. What do you think, Anders? Why do they, you know, why, why know. do they? I'm just a very cynical person. I shouldn't <laughs> really speak about that publicly. I think there are some other reasons for it. Don't tell let, us. Let, but let's say it's just because they want access to the best talents in the world. Uh, and, and I hope that's it. I, I don't really buy that, but yeah, let's hope so. But you have another story. <laughs> I mean, they, they created those data sets, right? So maybe yeah. they wanted people to organize some data sets for them, right? And they had some plan. Oh. Because Google was always saying they are organizing the information. Are you, but do you have a slightly different understanding of you? We don't need to go there, but say yes or no, at least. I, I, I'm hoping that's the case, but I'm not sure it is. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's move. Yes. Uh, okay. So, okay. Let, AI let, divide. Let, yes. Bit. AI divide. So this is the whole, you know, we have the problem. I mean, I, I think it's wrong to call it a problem. I think it's really good that we have the tech giants. You know, what would the world be without the big tech giants that we do have? They provide so much good for the world, and and that's really good. And and I think it's kind of we're just being jealous in in some sense, saying you know why can't we have a like a tech giant in Europe for or why can't we we in Sweden actually we do have a couple of tech giants yeah. like Spotify and but but I don't think it's that they are good that is the problem is no. that the rest is not accelerating yes. that's the problem I mean like and 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 I think the divide becomes a problem because it is it we, a lot of good companies with a lot of uh, people employed. They're so far behind, so they will be eaten up and disrupted in a way that will be more painful than if some of these companies started to drive their own data and AI journey. I mean, like I, my, my hypothesis has always been that we, we will have a better society 
if more and diversity, if more companies catches up to the few, like this huge segregation in know-how uh, is a little bit scary. What do you think? I mean, the progress was always coming from the big ones, right? Yeah. And but not all. They I mean, startups have done some amazing things. And, and I, I remember some Google exec executive said, you know, we're not really afraid about the enterprise like Apple and whatnot. What we're really afraid about is a startup that, that's come up with an idea. I was about to say that they don't have to stay big for ever, right? Yeah. No. <coughs> okay. So uh, continue. Sorry, yeah. we interrupted. No, I was so about what, to what say that they, the, the, the innovation and the big stuff always, I mean, in one sense, and big companies, they they don't dare to risk too much, but they do have money to risk. So, uh, so, so how, what's your, if Canby were to become the uh, super big tech giant, so to speak, in Europe, um, do you think, you know, this is hard to answer, I know, but but still, you know, if we want to have more tech giants in Europe, what would be your advice in, in making them be you know, closer to what the tech giants are. Do we need to do more research? Do we need to more to be more like uh, innovative in different ways? Do we need to make sure that we have an understanding of data and AI in a better way? Do we need to be? What, what do we? What are we missing today to to come closer to that? But if you think how they build the companies in US, they they first do what they want and then they kind of comply to the law, right? Or like they they don't ask for permission; they ask for forgiveness. Oh, right. that, that's yeah. the way. In in Europe, I think it happens the other way. So you try to be comply with the law and do everything correctly from the very beginning. And that I think that was not the case in the US, right? So um, and China, perhaps. Ah, China is another issue. <laughs> no, so so some some point here is that at some point you they, are, they have been taking risks they've been doing things and and i think it's a good summary sometimes ask for forgiveness instead of permission but, but also like in the <clears throat> if you are the data scientist in a company you sometimes should probably create something on your own and show does it work and that it works yeah not the, not that you ask if you can do it and so you can take that from a from a from a macro perspective down to a micro perspective that uh, if you know we need to try things it needs we need to be allowed to try some somewhere mm. and and of course then if 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 for companies who think this is sensitive and, and you know there are opportunities to how you create a sandbox even even in the public sector we're talking about sandboxes a lot so you can always if you have the right frame, you can create the environment to do it. How should I put it safely? But I, I think this is a big hurdle, right? That how to create a safe environment to experiment uh, is, is one way to look at this. So we, we only have uh, 15 minutes left and uh, we have a number of topics and I, I'd like for, for perhaps you to choose, you know, a bit what you would like to, to be able to talk a bit about. And, and let me just name a couple. <coughs> Um, and I think one that you mentioned is basically the regulation problem that we have, mm -hmm. and that could potentially hurt innovation and um, and what's going to happen in the, in the future when we know an, an, a number of new uh, acts of legislation is coming up in EU, EU for example. That could be one topic uh, in, in in how that impacts you know companies mm -hmm. in in Sweden and Europe and. 
Cambia, for example. Innovation could be another topic. You know, how can we really promote that? For example, Cambia and the data science team you have are allowed to innovate uh, by allowing themselves to to come up with ideas that may not be driven by people that don't understand the tech and, mm-hmm. and uh, as you mentioned before, you know, come up with the wrong ideas instead of speaking about the problem, they speak about solutions. So how do we really come up with innovative solutions mm-hmm. in a good way? That could be another thing. Um, I, I like that we hopefully have some time to speak about the singularity and more philosophical topics about, you know, what will happen in 10 years or 20 years when AI will start to become even increasingly intelligent and things like that. Uh, yeah, if we stop there, you know, any, any topic that you would like to what start What legislation with? is coming? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> we are it, not up, up to date. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can let's, speak of this. Let's go there. Time. Let's go there a couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I've seen some papers that I, yeah, that's not public yet, but still, we we had a white paper that was released uh, earlier last year from mm-hmm. Europe um, that spoke about AI specifically, and they, for example, spoke about uh, the differentiation between high risk and low risk AI. Mm-hmm trying to say that some type of AI or some sector of AI is more dangerous than others and they should be regulated differently than other sectors or yeah, whatever, how you slice that type of AI application, um, they, they will have potentially a different set of regulation. And, and uh, you, you could argue, you know, what, how should you do that in a good way? What's the implication of having regulation of this discriminatory in some way, mm-hmm. depending on, on the sector or, or the user or whatever you slice it with. And um, and then you can speak about GDPR and then the problems that had, which has great in- intentions, but, but then implementation-wise, it may not be imperfect and, and actually resulting in the AI divide that we have. Yeah, GDPR in Sweden. Yeah. Well, and, so, yeah, that's a good one. GDPR in Sweden. Yeah. Sometimes I feel it's a joke. <laughs> if, you, if you take into account this uh, certificate you can get from Swedish Radio and Television Commission or whatever you name it, right? You have all those services when you can Google anybody, right? Yeah. And they use this certificate that they pay like, I don't know, 200 euros and they can publish databases that they own, mm. right? Which is pretty much personal data that they could never publish under GDPR. But this certificate uh, protects them on the constitutional basis or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Right. I would like to add on that. So right now you can get the social security number of every single citizen in Sweden, right? Mm-hmm. Not even the four last numbers. I didn't think that that is possible, but actually it was, and it's protected by the law. So no GDPR will actually do that under paragraph six or whatever it is. So it's completely, it's completely nuts. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. nuts. Yeah, okay, so the only thing that you cannot get of this person, you got everything, how he told his, where he lives, who is his wife, his husband, uh, her husband, which is all everything except the email. So as soon as you get the email, all GDPR. <laughs> but everything else you know, how much money does he make and all this other thing. But, but how can that be possible? How, how can that, how can we as companies be in such pain in GDPR and at the same time, this is completely legal. I, 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 I cannot wrap my but head around it. If we take Cambia as an example, and it would be great to, to hear your thoughts about this. And, and you're a B2B company. Mm-hmm. And you actually have a problem that you need to apply by GDPR to, to I would say, a greater extent than B2C companies that have you know, direct... We pretty much don't have any customer data, oh. as far as I know. Oh. Good luck for you, or, or so nice for you. Yes. <laughs> Sorry? It's a B2B. Yes, it's a B2B. Yeah. You don't, you don't you have users that you 
work with Unibet has, or the, the end the, customer has the yeah. data. But but you mean but but in your systems you still have to have user on uh, or data, but in a user level, no? I mean, but we don't have personal data, right? Not not PPI, not personal protected information, or something. Yeah, PII, personally identifiable information. Yeah. Um, okay, good for you then. But let me let me speak in general. So so normally I think it's kind of a weird that a company like Facebook or you know whatever kind of company can say, here's the terms of service. Please press accept button, and then we can use your data to what, do whatever we want. And then, if you have another company like uh, IKEA or Ilka or you know whatever kind of retailer, uh, retailers may be an exception. But anyway, they have to apply by GDPR, and they can't simply you know put up a long terms of service agreement that no one ever reads but still accepts. Um, and, and that cause like it, they just circumvent the whole purpose of GDPR by by having this kind of weird. Um, but Facebook also needs to do that, right? Yeah, that's what my point. I mean, they yeah. they can use data for so many things mm -hmm. by simply having a large terms of service that ah, yeah. people just agree with, because they don't really they never read it. And, so and the retail e-commerce site they could potentially do that, but no one does. Yeah. So that's why they can't use the data. They're so afraid about it. They don't have the legal resources to defend if someone were to challenge them, but Facebook does. But uh, so so one theory is that IKEA should have their ten-page paragraph <laughs> like Facebook. Well, that, that's the, the way to abuse the regula regulatory system we have, yes. So if they want to abuse it, then that, that's what they should do. Right? And that's, that's the idea for the startup, right? Yeah. <laughs> Create <laughs> as long terms. We, we just use GPT-3 to generate the terms of service <laughs> yeah, exactly. and put it on the website, and then you have you know, all access to the data you want. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, regulation but, is a tough topic. Um, but, but a little bit, the, the strange thing is a little bit back to what you ex exemplified. How can we have PII data legally in some cases, or how can we find that data, uh, Goran? I mean, like what you highlighted, we can find all data on everyone. Yeah, I will Google myself. Okay. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a, just go to uplisting.se or something. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So, ha, ha. yeah, you, go, you Google yourself. Okay. And then uh, you find. Um, Let's say um, Merinfo, uh, probably will find some of this. But there yeah. is like a. Even your age, yeah. Yeah. So you have my age, you have my personal. If I click here, so these guys are selling it. In some of them, you can actually. Sorry. Yeah, so these guys are selling my uh, what is called uh, social security number, right? So there are some other companies that are actually not selling it, it's just actually for free. Yep. So you have, my uh, you have my social security number. You have my telephone number, you have my age, you have my address, you know my salary, and that is not uh, personally identifiable data. I don't understand. And I cannot stop this. I cannot call them and say like, hey, you should delete me from yeah, this. Yeah, okay. why can't I call this guy and say yeah, I don't want to Yeah, because be according to the law, this is uh, uh, authentic, like, this is public uh, record. Public record data and data inspection and says yeah. the same. I, I was writing to them. Yeah. But it's completely nuts, right? It is. Yeah, it is nuts. So, welcome to the GDPR era. Yeah. And uh, data inspection is not is no more. They they changed the name. Yes. Uh, what was it, was it? It's called. Uh, we it talked in, about integrity or something like that. Anyway, perhaps a final, more philosophical topic. I, I still love to hear your thoughts about the singularity and and. Uh, 
So singularity in, in some way could be defined as at some point in time in the future, AI will be um, on a human level scale. And it could also be uh, defined in a different way, which I think is more interesting saying, uh, no matter how intelligent it is, but it, it, it will be a point when it becomes out of control, saying... You can't pull the plug. You can't pull the plug anymore. And it could be... I, I would say that's more dangerous because I, the, the general part is one thing, but it's more dangerous just to imagine that you have some set of drones that can go around <laughs> and shoot people and you can't pull the plug on them. <laughs> and that can happen today because we have the, 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 the AI to do that today. Mm. And potentially we could never pull the plug if they just could, you know, generate themselves. So uh, in, in some way you can define singularity in different ways here. And, and it could be dangerous if we don't have a way to make sure that they basically do things in the interest of humans. What's your thought about singularity? Is it something that you have been thinking about or scared about or? Not thinking. I think it's still science fiction. Mm -hmm. You think if you were to guess, you know, some point where we potentially will lose control or that we will have human level type of intelligence in AI, uh, how, how many years ahead do you think? I don't think I will live. <laughs> really? That's far ahead? Well. But lose control. We can easily see it's happened already a number of times. Like we have a number of, of crashes in the stock market, for example. <laughs> because we lost control of uh, how these kind of high-frequency trading systems work, et cetera. So we know if we don't regulate things properly, it will go bad, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so in some sense, you know, it's kind of a grayscale, you know, what happens. And, and luckily, we've been able to handle a lot of threats uh, already. You know, we were able to regulate, for example, biological abuse mm -hmm. uh, we were able to regulate uh, nuclear power we were able to regulate uh, you know genomics and, and i think we can do the same for ai but it seems like we are not really thinking that much about this uh, what do you, if we take like self driving cars i mean i think that's an, not as dangerous example as like a stock market um, example for example that could crash the whole you know, world economy in some way but would you feel, let's say in five years, and let's say you have a car that drives better than the average human, would you prefer to sit in a car with a level five self-driving you know, machine than a human? I assume I, I can drive better than average human. So. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends, I mean... I mean, there are too many age. Whenever I think about those cars, I think they are developing them for like climates like you have in California, right? Not what you have in Sweden. Mm -hmm. If you have white roads and yeah, everything is white, how will it cope with it? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've never seen any kind of movie commercial or anything with self-driving car in the winter. Why? Maybe. So but but I, do you think it's just a matter of time yeah. before that happens, or do you think it will never happen, or what's your thinking about you know when? I mean, you, it's a matter of time, I guess. But when, when okay, if we take the time axis here, and I think you know when do you think the average uh, self-driving car will be better than the average human-driven car? It depends what the measure. 
Because I mean, yeah. if, 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 Let's if, say if, you, if you take like number of accidents or num yeah, but, number yeah, of fatalities, if, or if you something. take like Tesla, they are reporting that they have a little number of fatalities yeah. or accidents. Ten times safer per, already I per think. per yeah. kilometer. But then, if you take into account that a lot of those Teslas drive through like uh, highways, yeah. and then you don't have accidents there, they're just making kilometers. Oh, so they, they make the denominator high. Yeah. And, yeah. But still, if you if you take the worst case, like a proper average or mm -hmm. okay, really okay. kind of you know edge case you can think of, when do you think you know the the average self driving car will be better than humans? I don't know, fifteen years. Fifteen years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, like uh, average car that you have in production, right? Yeah. I I don't believe you can have this level five with just cameras. I, need, I think you need something like leader or something like that. You and go against Elon Musk here now, but yeah, yeah, he, 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 he puts <laughs> I mean, lighter down. <laughs> yeah. if, if you have tough road conditions like mist and I don't know, heavy rain. But humans can humans have no lighters. Lighters. Yeah, they don't. So, if we just compare to humans, wouldn't they still be able to do better than humans at least? But then you would replicate like. Like human vision and hum humans, let's say they drive the same way over and over again and they remember it. And I don't think the cars at the moment do. So, you know, where could be the hole in the road, right? You could have passed by the bus. You, you, you left the bus stop and you've seen there was a hole in the road, right? So when there will be mist, you will know that the hole is there. But, uh, but imagine car. if Tesla like remembers <coughs> that and, and it's not from a single car, it's from 10,000 cars that mm -hmm. all drive over the same pothole and they, they can collect that data much quicker than a single human ever could, right? Yeah, if you had that. But I think at the moment they are not retraining on every, all the data they get. Uh, they don't get uh, data. But they could just store it in a database, right? right? Uh, here's I a mean, pothole. The, the Tesla had the problem when uh, they, they had Spotify for free in Tesla, right? And uh, a lot of Norwegians were coming to Sweden for holidays and then suddenly they have to pay for roaming, mm. right? So I don't believe they are sending back the training data. So I think that's far in the future, maybe if 6G, <laughs> it will be cheaper and faster to send the training data back. Well, Elon, Elon thinks differently. But, well, then, GDP, we'll see how but then GDPR and others. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. GDPR could be the problem, perhaps. Should we move? Uh, the time is already seven now, so yeah. um, let's move to to the, the final questions here. And um, uh, Martin, no, sorry, okay. Martin, 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 Martin. Martin. I will say instead, yeah, Martin, 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 Martin. What's next in your life? What's happening personally, uh, professionally? Something happening uh, coming weeks, months? Uh, my my older daughter. Uh, we are preparing her for exam to a music school, mm. oh. so that that will be this weekend. And beside that, uh, nothing really happens. Ah. Work, work, and kids. Working work kids. kids. So life is working kids right now. Yeah. In in what in in a balanced way, you you would say. Uh, it depends on the day. Yeah, it depends on the day. Good answer. But this working from home works yeah. quite well. I mean, yeah. you don't lose like two hours commuting. Uh, that's, that, that, there, there are benefits, of course. No, but there are people who, who don't like staying at home. Uh, for me, it works. Yeah. 
you think we will come back to to the old situation when when Corona is under control, so to speak, and we have vaccinated the most population? Or you would prefer uh, to work more from home? <laughs> I would prefer to work from home, but yeah, I I, I like to travel a bit, mm. yeah. you know, back back home to Poland also. Mm. Uh, I mean, it 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 probably will be more kind of a common become like a more common cold. Yeah. Maybe the fatality will be brought down, and they will find some medicine to make it the symptoms easier but yeah and as Spotify just announced the um, the work for the vfa the work from anywhere kind of policies meaning that even you know whatever corona uh, situation in the future you will always have the flexibility to work you know from ever wherever you want it's yeah, but then which salaries do they give do they give san francisco salaries or new york salaries <laughs> or sweden for all <laughs> Well, oh, I shouldn't go into that topic, but you should compare it to to perhaps Sweden type of salaries yeah. at least, you know, right? Yeah, that would be nice. But then there's a uh, other tax legal reason, you know, problems. Yeah, of course. Can you spend one month? But, but, but I, I, I applaud Spotify to try yeah. and to push the boundaries in this way. I think it's. Yeah, but the question is, how far is a PR stunt, and how far they really want to do? Uh, it? Yeah. I mean, they they may say they do it, but they don't employ new people at the moment. It's like, okay, true, very true. Cool, uh, Martin. Martin, Martin. Um, who would you like to have on this show, and how? Who would you like to have us bringing uh-huh. in, and, and you listening to? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know that many people in Sweden, right, who could come and and talk. Yeah, you have to be physically here as well. That's a limitation. But I think we, uh, we, we I joked about it, but you went to university with uh, uh, an old colleague of you. Kava. Yeah. I think uh, I, I will help you. Him. I will help you. That's If he comes to Stockholm, we should bring him on the show. I we think. should bring him on the show. Yeah, but we need coronavirus to end. Then we need to coronavirus to end. Yes, that's true. Martin, it's been a true pleasure, and I think a lot of people have really loved hearing about all your, you know, uh, tips and tricks about Kaggle competition yeah. and your expertise. And I, that. Um, thanks for teaching me about Kaggle. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you Thank again you very much. much for Thank coming you very here. much. Thank you.